You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hey, Mickey. Nice shirt. Hey, Bob. Well, I'm still on vacation after our one-week hiatus. Got that Hawaiian shirt. You know, that's also uh, worn by the Boogaloo Boys. I don't know if that's I a know. I'm not a Boogaloo Boy. You... They actually exist, but I'm not one of them. Uh-huh. That's why I should have said that right off the bat. Yeah. You, you, you so, absolutely should have. Um, and I should have I should have worn my shades just to give it the ex- extra frisson of vacation. Yeah, you're looking better and better. Put on more stuff. So you got the <laughs> shades, the shirt. Uh, I'm trying to no, think of there's it. something missing. I can't put my finger on it. Oh, I know what it is. It's a beautiful girl next to you. Um, so, How do you know there's not a beautiful girl next to me? There could be. It could be. I, I should go wide angle and find out. Could be more than one. Um, could be, yeah. Could be like the Beatles documentary. Could be Yoko Ono. Could be. Have you seen the Beatles documentary? I saw an hour of it, and I'm, I'm willing to talk about it probably in the parrot room. Probably in the parrot room, where things like that are talked about. I, I watched uh, a little more than an hour of it, and I think I'm now qualified to opine on the whole thing. We both had seven hours left to go. Um, apparently, and yes. You, and you couldn't pay me enough. Really? <laughs> so you didn't, you didn't like, I mean, see, it, it's, per, it's perfectly enjoyable for me. It, it's just not gripping and compelling, but I, I plan to watch the rest. Yep. I have, I have the theme for this episode. The what is that? Regiment of Pepsid. Are you a Pepsid junkie? Well, it turns out Biden is a Pepsi junkie. Who knew? And the story. The story on his uh, his raspy speech said the doctor said it was reflux, which is always seems to be a bogus a bogus diagnosis often. But uh, it said he will continue with his regimen of Pepsi. Well, reflux is what reflux. it's for, right? Yes. And that's why I take it. I take it because of reflux. But um, and you take Sudafed because you are congested, right? No, I you take, take Sudafed, Sudafed because I'm because you I'm, need speed. I'm I'm tired and uninspired, and Sudafed perks me up. Did you take your Sudafed today? Yeah, although I took the little red ones, not the twelve-hour one. <laughs> okay. So speaking Some of people Biden- say they work better. So, so yeah. we were on vacation last week, and we both feel super guilty about it, and a lot of stuff happened. Uh, during the week we didn't cover. And one of the things was, did you see that Washington Post piece where Biden is signaling that he's running? Well, that yeah, that's ancient news by now. He's uh, I know, because we took the week off, but we didn't discuss <laughs> no, it. But I, it, it's not that important. He's signaling he's running because he knows he doesn't want to be a lame duck. So what? What I thought was funny was that the the piece kind of bought the angle that he's saying this to reassure Democrats. It's like, how many Democrats find this reassuring? I mean, I'm a Democrat who hopes they'll find someone who's not Joe Biden and not Kamala Harris to run. Not, they, all, they all do. None of them believe him. And they all are like you, want to find that, that alternative. Oh, they don't even believe him? They don't think he's, he's really running? Then why I is he I think one of the this? stories said nobody believes him, yes. Hmm. Uh, the... Um, uh, so yeah, and and there and this idea that Buttigieg, Buttigieg is going to somehow seize the mantle from Kamala Harris is insane. And Buttigieg is if you saw you know he if you just see the video side by side of how Buttigieg completely imitated Obama's rhetorical style. I, I haven't seen. He's that. like a completely confected like artificial concoction, and but- and plus he. Plus, he doesn't appeal to the working class voters who the Democrats need. So, so are you saying it's insane after. mainly because he can't unseat Kamala, or because it would be a bad idea for the Democrats to run him? I think it'd be a terrible idea the for the Democrats one. to run him. Yes, absolutely. The latter. I mean, you talk about cluelessness so far as like what it takes to beat the Republicans in the post-Trump age. You just almost can't order up. I mean, yes, you could order up Kamala Harris. That would be as bad. But uh, it's just, uh, don't get me started. Um, uh, um, the, so what else? Tons of stuff happened. We, uh, we, got a, we, have, a, we have a whole, I have a list of uh, 11 things. A lot of court cases. A lot of court cases. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, the biggest thing is Plus the, the new variant, the, by the way. You the biggest thing is the new variant. Yeah. And I'm not convinced that this variant isn't a good thing. Uh, there are other, you know, there are people who say this, but if it, if the variant outcompetes Delta, but is not really severe, right? Uh, that might be an improvement. And where are the deaths from this variant? Uh, I haven't heard of a single death from this variant. Yes, it usually takes a while for deaths to show up, but the minimum is two weeks, and it's obviously been circling, circulating around for more than two weeks. Uh, so you know, habeas corpus. Where, where, where are the are the d people dying from this variant? I, you know, everybody saying, oh, it's going to take a month to find out. Why should it take a month to find out if if the deaths that usually happen after two weeks aren't happening or are happening at a lower level? That suggests the virus is less virulent. Yeah, I think the picture is still pretty muddy, but I agree that that is kind of the one remaining hope. It seems to me, although all the evidence is cloudy, but it seems to me the best guess is it's at least as transmissible as Delta, maybe more so that it's probably more resistant to the vaccine and more resistant to immunity via past infection. Doesn't mean entirely resistant, but more resistant. I, I suspect we have bad news on all those fronts, but I haven't seen compelling reason to think yet that we have bad news on the lethality front. And you're right, it could be good news. Uh, and, and the, the, yeah. the, the press is always, always suppresses the lethality question till the very end. So they do the scare issues first, like, oh, it'll be, you know, it, it's tr easily transmissible. It'll, it'll avoid the vaccine, you know, and then they get around to, oh, by the way, it, it doesn't really have that much effect. Well, that's, that's number one issue, not, not number seven. Uh, and, and the, the, the one encouraging thing, uh, that I read is, uh, noting that, uh, well, first, first the, the virus has mutations on the protein spike, but it doesn't have the usual mutations in the rest of the virus that, uh, that let it evade, uh, let it be more transmissible, let, let it evade the vaccine. So. Now that may be good news or bad news because maybe those mutations will then happen, and and voila, we have something worse. But um, uh, the other thing is, if as one of the theories has it, it developed within the body of an immunocompromised, like HIV uh, infected person, uh, for months, that means it has learned not to kill its host. Okay, so if the virus does not kill its host. That would suggest it's not that lethal. I don't. I don't know about that. I mean, it, you can certainly imagine it surviving within the body of a, a given person without having uh, evolved toward lower lethality. I mean, especially if that person is getting uh, drugs, you know, is getting anti-COVID therapies or something. I, I don't know about that story. Uh, I mean, I do think. Speaking of drugs, you know, the good news is. This this uh, the Pfizer drug in particularly, which has a lot of promise, supposedly has roughly 90 percent efficacy if given to people early. Apparently, there's every reason to think its effects will be undiminished by uh, any changes in the new variant, because it, it it the way it works has nothing to do with the protein spike or, or anything like that. And, you know, it gets. Uh, it gets back to what I've been saying, that that, that drug is potentially game changer. In any event, I mean, I, I think, it, you know, if if you in a, ma in a world where you really got it to everyone who gets sick early on, so it cut the lethality to like 10 percent of what it is now, that's a world where you're dealing with something like maybe a bad flu year. And, 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 you, and, it, and we just have to learn to live with that. It's it's the getting it to everybody early part. That sure. Is, that's going to be difficult. hard. And, and by the way. Uh, it's important to do that globally because, I, you know, I, I did a sermon in uh, Monday's issue of the Non-Zero Newsletter. I was among the people who, when Omicron showed up, said, I told you so about the the well, the so-called vaccine equity issue. I don't I don't like that term because uh, in this case, you know, I'm not arguing about global justice. I mean, I think you can argue for, for global distribute, more, more vigorous global distribution of vaccines on those grounds. But m my point is that it's in America's interest 
to get uh, other countries vaccinated as quickly as possible. And I think there's a way to do that without uh, sacrificing our access to vaccines by, by expanding the global infrastructure, which means fiddling with intellectual property, the global infrastructure for vaccine production. Anyway, that was a tangent. What I want to say was the, the drug, uh, you know, getting the drug distributed globally is also an anti-variant strategy, as I understand it, because I think the way this works is every time the vaccine replicates inside a person, there's a chance of mutation. So in terms of the chances of, of mutation, there's a big difference between A, somebody who's vaccinated and fights it off right away because there aren't many replications in you before that happens. B, uh, somebody who gets real sick but finally fights it off, which has given it a chance to replicate a lot. And then C, somebody who has a therapeutic intervention that puts you somewhere between those two endpoints so that there's, you know, a medium number of uh, replications. Um, so uh, I just want to uh, double down on my sermon about the need to think creatively about increasing the global infrastructure for vaccine well, production, uh, uh, which we need to do anyway. You know, we're going to there will be future pandemics. A couple. Uh, I agree. But a, a couple a couple of points. First, I, I still I'm not I, I obviously don't understand the science well enough. It seems to me it's better for us if it mutates within a population of unvaccinated people because then it doesn't learn how to beat the virus. It just learns no, how to no, beat no, 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 unvaccinated no. people. No, no, that, that, no. That's for the reason works. I said, because it, 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 if you compare those two populations where immunity is acquired through vaccine as opposed to through getting the disease, the second country is letting the virus uh, replicate like 30, 40, 50 times as many. I mean, I don't know the number, but there are way more mutations involved in letting people acquire immunity through getting sick than acquiring immunity through vaccine. Right. Now I could, maybe some scientists will, will, will tell me I'm wrong, but I, but, but, but I, I think, you know, chances of mutation are a function of number of viral replications. Yep. And there's a lot more replications in somebody who has to get sick to get immunity than in somebody whose vaccine fights it off right away. There was one doctor who took the, the contrary position that it's that, that I'm taking that it's so did Brett Weinstein. Uh, you're, you're in great and, company, and, and he was considered an outlier, though I don't think he's not respectable. Look, um, I'm I'm not saying you can't have any of that kind of effect. Uh, I'm not saying that that a vaccinated population uh, isn't more likely to develop a strain that is uh, resistant to the vaccine per se. I'm suggesting that that's still a better world than the other world, uh, yeah, just right. given the sheer the, different rates of mutation between the, the two. The, the second point is that most of these countries have plenty of vaccine. They have vaccine-resistant populations. South Africa is turning away vaccine because they don't think they can use it. Uh, it'll spoil because their population doesn't want it. So they're thinking of making it mandatory. Uh, but that's the issue, not that the world hasn't come together and given well, them enough vaccine. Well, the, the issue is different in different countries. There was good news on the on the I mean, you're right, though, that that South Africa had enough vaccines and it was it was a reluctance uh, problem. Of course, we don't know that the mutation arose in South Africa, but uh, or the variant did. But um, there was good news on that, actually, just this week in terms of having to uh, how long you can keep the vaccine around before it spoils. Now, the, the Pfizer uh, can now be stored at uh, refrigerator temperature uh, rather than in, in, in specialized equipment. By the way, I, 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 I confess that I owned Pfizer stock a couple of weeks ago. Ooh, now we disclose. No, I, I, I disclosed it a couple of weeks ago. But it's not true. I don't own Pfizer stock. I own Merck. I check. Okay. I think I'd rather own Pfizer, but I own Merck. Uh, what the hell? Um, this is part of my Biden, this, this idea that the Omicron variant might be, actually be good news is part of the Biden rescue scenario where uh, somehow, uh, uh, you know, the, the virus turns around and turns out that, that the Omicron helps us get back to normal as opposed to preventing Oh, wait, it. I need to hear that slate pitch. How does that, oh, oh the thing no, you that, said that, earlier. That, 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 that's their thing earlier, that if it's not lethal, if it just, if it doesn't kill anybody and it spreads like wildfire well, and it, kills, it, the kills off the Delta virus, which, which is, is lethal, 
Yeah. Uh, that's a good thing. But I don't think there's much chance of it being not lethal. I think we could hope that it might be somewhat less lethal. I don't see any way this is not a, a, you know, if you want to talk in crass political terms, I don't see any way this isn't a problem for Democrats because the, they're, you know, they're the incumbent party. Midterms are coming up and this is going to complicate life. Yeah. If, if the answer is nobody knows, the South African doctors who treated patients with this new variant said that they had very mild symptoms and nobody seems to have died. I repeat. If you read the press, they would tell us if somebody had died. Yeah, no, I mean, look, that is my great hope, too, is that it's less lethal. I, I'd be pleasantly surprised, but very surprised if it wasn't lethal at all. Uh, but look, if I, you know, if it's even somewhat less lethal, less lethal and uh, we make good use of these new drugs, I think we're talking about the equivalent of flu in principle. Great. Uh, the second part is that somehow inflation turns around. Uh, I don't know. So, well, you can see why if it's caused by supply chain bottlenecks that eventually they'll work, they'll work through those and union movement is still diminished. So it's not going to set up a wage price spiral. So it's, it's conceivable. And the third thing is on the border, Biden has finally done what everybody has predicted, which is he's swerved a bit to the right. He's he is the, the this and this was uncovered by. Uh, the Center for Immigration Studies, the outfit that I uh, rely on a lot, uh, the, the, the Biden administration is secretly deporting a whole bunch of people by flying them back to their home countries that we didn't know about. They, you know, they've gone from 29 flights a day to 99 flights a day. They do them you know, secretly. They don't tell people about them. And they're, they're not doing it to the majority of, of, of migrants who come here, but they're doing it. It turns out a little bit of that medicine goes a long way in terms of deterrence. If they fly 20 percent of them back home, that has a huge deterrent effect in in terms of stopping people coming in the first place. Uh, so they're doing that. They've swerved. Uh, and uh, uh, I guess uh, I should hail that as a as a bout of common sense, although obviously they're doing it in the service of preserving themselves politically so they can do more damage on the border another day. But uh, but they are doing that. That, that. that actually is happening. And that could easily help him. If the numbers suddenly start going down by election day, it might be a six-month-old problem, you know? Yeah, I think it definitely hurts him if the border seems uh, chaotic and problematic when the election shows up. Yeah. Um, I, I, so you're getting closer to actually uh, becoming a big Biden fan, it sounds like, but you have a way to go. No, I mean, you got to get but you got to give him credit for having a little bit of common sense. Jesus. Well, you know, I think all along. I think he's he's pragmat has a good, solid, pragmatic political mind um, on all these issues, you know, including kind of wokeism. It, it, it's just that, uh, you know, th there's a. There are strong constituencies within his party on these issues, and he's he's got to deal with that too. I, I, it's a question I, I, of weakness, weakness in terms of be, dealing with the issues, and and we, a weakness of his position, and also a weakness of his character. His character? Yeah, he has, he's he's not telling off these interest groups. The, the he's not telling off the the people who are pressuring him to do things that he shouldn't do. He just sort of does it in a much more subtle way. Uh, which takes much longer. He should have swerved on on the borders uh, four months ago. Instead, he's he's doing it now. And and the interesting question is there there have the uh, the advocates of more immigration and the advocates of specifically loose southern border migration have they signed off on this? Do they realize uh, we have to get tough now so we can be loose later because we were getting killed politically? So did he go to like uh, America's voice and say, don't make a fuss about these repatriation flights. Uh, we needed to control the border. I think they would say yes. I, I, certainly America's voice would say, I, we understand you can do it. We won't squawk. I don't know about some of the other groups, but I think he got uh, I think he got progressive buy in for this. But you're just kind of imagining that. I mean, I, I, I mean, you're you're conjecturing well, that. You haven't. You haven't I'm seen conjecturing that. that although, although the the America's Voice people have been very pragmatic in terms of, uh, we sound like a bunch of crazies who don't believe in any border enforcement at all. 
we have to at least propose something that sounds like border enforcement. So they've been pragmatic in this respect. I don't know about Unidos, which used to be La Raza, and all these other crazier, uh, newer groups that have sprouted up. Well, do you do you not buy my idea that there are reasons a politician like him actually has to pay some attention to big parts of his coalition, even if he thinks that they are dragging him in an unfortunate direction politically? I mean, I don't understand the dynamics of it myself, but it just seems like politicians always well, sure. do that. Okay, sure. But so then, but why you, is you, it you, an you, issue you, of character if if he is careful about uh, he, antagonizing well, it, him? Because he doesn't seem to. He, he he not only seems to, you know, it's a question of are you, how many, do you have the guts to have a fight with them in public? And, and that's largely a question of how strong he is politically, and yeah. he's not that strong. But also some people like to have fights and some people are wimps. I mean, I'm, well, I'm, I'm a conflict-averse uh, person. I will... It, Fight or flight, I will always choose flight. Funny way of showing it, but but I don't I don't think it's just that. I I think um, I mean again, I think fights are widely thought to be a bad idea within coalitions unless you really have to have them. I mean, there's a there there's more than one reason that Bill Clinton's sister soldier moment was so memorable, you know. And one of them is this is a super unusual thing for a politician to do. To to any kind of sizable part of of the coalition. Uh, that's true. And Clinton actually hated resisted doing it. He hated doing it. Uh, he just did it because he felt he had to, but he didn't like doing it as he was doing it. But um, there was an era in the in the eighties when telling off Democratic interest groups, at least in the primaries, was a way to show that you were ballsy and presidential. Uh, when Gary Hart was running, you know, people would like, uh, he made a big, people, and, and Clinton, in fact, made a big point of giving the same speech in, you know, in right-wing areas as left-wing areas to show that he wasn't pandering to whatever interest group he was talking to. So there is this a countervailing phenomenon, mainly in the press, but I think also in the public, where you show you were strong by telling off your own side. Biden me, doesn't do any of that. Nobody's doing any of that anymore. Let me ask you a related question. So I heard about, I didn't follow it all, but I gathered that, you know, uh, Republican nutcase Marjorie Taylor Greene and kind of uber Trumpist uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who, uh, you know, was, uh, I guess, along, I, maybe it started with her embracing uh, whatever, Bobert or whatever it is, uh, what she had said about the, I forget which of them said Jihad Squad, but anyway, Bobert. both of them, that was Bobert. I think, I think Marjorie... Anyway, Marjorie Taylor Greene somehow got in a in an intra-party fight on the same side as Bobert with some congresswoman whose name I don't recall, but this congresswoman from South Carolina kind of Mace. stood up and said this is racism. Now, Nancy I Mace? was Yeah, that's correct. And I was one apparently this happened last week. I heard this on the DMZ podcast, uh, the Bill's Bill Share Matt Lewis podcast. Uh, they 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 recounted it. And um I I wondered when I heard that whether I mean, ordinarily, I, I, you know, just the week before you had you know, uh, more or less defended Bobert or at least told me I was uh, being, a, uh, you know, a, a pathetic, weak need liberal to care about uh, somebody uh, denigrating Muslims. But uh, I wondered whether you might actually be glad that somebody was standing up to Marjorie Taylor Greene and Bobert, if only because it might signal the emergence of an anti-Trump but Trump-friendly uh, part of I don't the think, party. I don't think May Nancy Mace is that Trump friendly. I think she's more of a Matt Lewis uh, says she goes back and forth and does sound Trump yeah. friendly on on every other day. Right, her ads sound Trump friendly, but I think at heart she seems like a Bush Republican. So uh, uh, mm. I'm not hardened by so this. You're not I'm, excited about this. No, I think Green and to a lesser extent Bobert are are trouble. I mean, Green is obviously in the situation where she she's just like Trump. She must be the center of attention every hour of the day. Uh, so if it's, if it's not this controversy, it's going to be some other controversy. And I don't know how you shut somebody like that up. Uh, you somehow read them some kind of riot act, but what riot act does speak, uh, would-be Speaker McCarthy have when he needs her vote down the line? It, it, uh, so I think she's a big ongoing problem because she's completely unhinged. Uh, uh, Bobert well, seems and, and, less unhinged, but she's a little unhinged. 
And this could be the wave of the future because, you know, with, with social media and so on, they all have the option of just turning themselves into these talk radio hosts in effect. Well, absolutely. And, and, and they raise funds that way. And uh, and it's uh, the e- ecology favors favors them doing exactly what they're doing. Uh, I so, mean, in a way, yes. the squad is is the Democrats version of that to some extent, to a, to a much lesser extent. But I mean, they I mean, you know, they they Com- they uh, you know, AOC has her own her own way of communicating with her own people. And for that reason, has to pay less attention um, to the leadership. AOC is, has been fairly irresponsible lately, but in general, the squad is, uh, is tame by comparison, tame by comparison. Yes. Yes. So, um, uh, so, um, I had, I had, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to ask if you wanted to give us a, a quick one minute summary of the well, current prospects well, for the 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 uh, soft infrastructure bill. You read my mind. Oh, I'm sorry to hear um, that because I, I, I was um, hoping for only one minute. Well, for for the first time I had I had a flash of uh intuition which seems to have gone away, but it might still be right that you know my my I had previously thought well they they probably won't pass the whole build back better act. Uh, you know, with the the big four, the big four programs of uh, universal pre-care, child care, uh, paid leave, and the child tax credit. Uh, uh, but they'll they'll have to pass something, you know, uh, the because they look they look the Senate, the House mm-hmm. has passed it, the Senate is considering it, uh, because they look like idiots if they have nothing, right? And there's also a lot of good stuff in the bill that they really need. Like money to shore up Obamacare, uh, so um, but the inflation thing became so you know salient this past couple of weeks, and the Republicans began hitting it so hard, and it is continuing to refuse to go away, and everybody's sort of conceding that the first stimulus went too far in terms of injecting too much money into the economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see I could see this thing now being killed. Uh, well, the, I have a solution. Actually add some revenue raising to it by actually taxing some rich people. It more than more than on the on their actual incomes. I mean, I mean, uh, in addition to this kind of uh, Elizabeth Sanders esque uh, wealth tax thing, in addition to whatever they're doing with corporate taxes, um, you know, that takes the inflationary impact out of it. If you if you pay for it. Takes. A lot of the inflationary impact out of it. A, there's the balanced budget multiplier. It's it's stimulating even if it's balanced. Uh, Well, then raise taxes more. Put a little money in the bank. But but, but you you take my point. I mean, that would really take a lot of the the, the talking point away and would take some of the inflationary impact away. And Yeah, but there's there's also other inflationary impact that comes when you... you, uh, when you um, do things like with childcare, you increase the demand and don't increase the supply. And in childcare, they're directly increasing the costs. Uh, you know, of of they want to double the pay of childcare workers, uh, and and they don't, you know, and they don't have the subsidies to pay for that. So it's going to put a lot of people out of business. It's going to cause the supply contraction. It's it's inherently inflationary. So the idea that they they're they're, the, the the first thing they're doing to stop inflation is creating a lot of inflation just seems completely insane. And and also it's politics, you know, people, it, 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 whether or not it makes sense economically, it, the pol- politics of huge government expansion when you're worried about inflation seem, uh, you know, that, that that's not, doesn't seem yeah. to go well with voters for good reason because they always understate the cost. Yeah, uh, the, I mean, and run deficits. On the so. one hand, I, I was wondering, can you turn uh, a fiscally stimulative? Uh, the fact that the Democrats uh, pass some somewhat fiscally stimulative legislation into an effective talking point. Can the Republicans do that? Turn that into an effective anti-inflation talking point? Blame the Democrats for inflation. I guess they can, but the reason they can is the same reason they can turn anything into one of those kinds of talk In other words, there aren't that many Americans out there who actually understand the way fiscal stimulus works or who, who could 
correctly answer the multiple choice question about this. Yes, the Republicans can say this bill did it. They can say anything did it. They can just make shit up. And I wonder, and they will make something up. So I wonder if that makes much difference. I'm surprised at the extent to which ordinary voters realize, as does Larry Summers, injecting a lot of money into the economy could be inflationary. I mean, they sort of understand that. I'm not surprised they have that Larry, Larry Summers they have, they have does, Larry, actually. I mean, he's they have, an economist. They have Larry Summers there to tell them that's right. And everybody's conceding now that he was right about the rescue plan, that it spent too much money. So uh, uh, I, I, don't, I think the it, voters yeah. aren't as crazy as, well, I, as I, you I think, think they are. Well, I think people knew that that would tend to have, you know, inflationary impact in and of itself. But but nobody was in a very good position to predict how much stimulus was needed to avoid kind of the opposite. And yeah, they they probably overdid it. They have a rubric of, you know, what percentage of the GDP are you adding? And Summers pointed out that this was higher than than to, to close the gap between, you know, potential production and the actual production they have, this was higher than you needed. So, I mean, that that's the gauge they use. It's sort of rough and ready, but it yeah. it was clearly violated. Well, I so, was going to, you know, in response to your earlier suggestion that actually inflation may miraculously be tamed, I was going to be skeptical about that only on, on, on grounds of, of Omicron. I mean, again, it could be a, a little less lethal. Uh, and it could well be that these drugs, you know, within, uh, uh, help. And for that matter, it could be that there's a new vaccine engineered, uh, for it within, uh, well, that depends on how they handle it. So it's going to be inflationary because we're going to lick Omicron? No, I no, 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 no. The opposite. We're, it's going to be inflationary because I think even in the best case scenario, Omicron is going Omicron, to- Omicron, pre- not Omicron. You're making it sound more ominous. Actually, uh, I'm on very strong ground here because I had a very long argument with my <laughs> wife about pronunciations. She convinced me that there are several acceptable pronunciations. Uh, I think the Brits say something that is neither of these. And both of these, Omicron and Omicron, have a case to be made for them. I am like- I am like the, I, I, it, the last person you want to argue with about this right now. Believe me, I'm willing to bring my wife on stage. Lisa. It's, it's a letter in the Greek alphabet. Is it? Omic- I thought yeah, it was. That turns out does that's not, have not enough. The way the ancient Greeks uh, pronounce it is none of the above. It's not any of this. I'm telling you, I'm like the world's leading. Authority. Do you have an ancient Greek there? Can you bring what? an ancient Greek? Can you bring an ancient Greek on the stage? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, that's that's the only thing that would settle this. Um. Okay, Omicron it is. Yeah, Omicron it can be. Plus, that that sounds kind of like ominous, which it kind of is. Ominous My, my point is, no, my point is that in the best case scenario, for the next few months, this is probably going to freak people out and have a little of the effect that with the past variants has tended to be inflationary. You know, make people a little less uh, willing to go to restaurants a little less willing right. to work in restaurants and so on. That's what I'm guessing will be the case two or three months from now. But I hope I'm, hey, wrong. I, I hope I'm wrong. I gave away I gave away my tickets to the Courtney Barnett concert. There you go. Because of Omicron. No, it wasn't because of Omicron, was it? Because it was because of, of generalized COVID anxiety, not necessarily because of Omicronist or whatever you call it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So there's a court... Um, Court the, cases. Oh, 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 wait, one uh, more thing. I, one more thing. One more, th- I, one more sermon. I have more to say. Okay. Well, let me, as long as we're on the Omicron tangent, let me just say one more thing. It looks like they can have a vaccine in a couple of months. It's almost certain, apparently. Such are the wonders of modern science and mRNA. But we have to develop an alternative to the traditional means of testing these uh, we have to uh, go to what I think they're called challenge trials, where people who want to volunteer to uh, be injected with the virus, not knowing whether they're in the control group or not, are allowed to do that. Then you can have a much smaller group uh, give you a, a, a lot of information over a much uh, shorter period of time than you have with yeah. the traditional study, where uh, right. which. Personally, I think on close examination is no more ethical than challenge trials. But um, can they be young people who are unlikely to die anyway? Well, they're the kind who tend to volunteer. Now, interestingly, there's some evidence that this is more likely 
to in South Africa, I think, isn't there some evidence that this is more likely to send young people to the hospital than previous variants? I don't think so. Hospi- hospitalizations are rising, but less than than with previous variants. Yeah, but I think there's, they have a younger younger clientele than oh, right. But I'm not so I don't sure. I don't know if they figured out whether. So go ahead. You were you were going to compared to its we were, You were going to uh, drag us across well, some first, more infrastructure. The, the, if you want to kill the infrastructure bill, mm-hmm. you would want to delay. And both Mansion and Cinema have said they don't like, don't think it'll be done by Christmas, which is Schumer's deadline. I don't know if this means that they think it'll still might be done by the end of the year. Uh, there, there's a bunch of other garbage that they had to get through before they got to this, which is the government shutdown and the debt ceiling and the Defense Authorization Act. And it looked like the Republicans had wised up and we're just going to make it very, very time consuming for Democrats to get through all this crap and thus delay the BBB, the Build Back Better Act, until after Christmas. But now all of a sudden things are happening very quickly. So it looks like the Republicans have not learned that lesson. Uh, they've, they've stopped the shutdown and, you know, they're, they're, they're cutting deals right and left. So, uh, but the other thing, the other, the other interesting thing that's happened is one reason they could kill the bill more easily is because the benefits have not started to flow to people yet. So Democrats will say, well, we have to have something before the election because we have to show the people we're going to give them benefits. And but the benefits probably won't even start flowing before the election. The one exception to that is the child tax credit, where the checks are going out now. They've been going out since the rescue plan had passed, but they expire in December. So that's an interesting deadline. If they put it past December, does that mean there'll be an outcry from people who don't get their $300 checks and that'll stimulate them to pass it? Or as I suspect, will there be not much outcry at all and people will already say, see, we stopped the checks. Nobody cared despite, you know, A1 stories in the New York Times of the day the checks stopped. Um, It won't generate a lot of political backlash. So Schumer is scared to go past that date. The other the other thing is there's no there's no popular juice behind this. All the commentators I read on the left, like even Ezra Klein and Matt Brunig certainly, and Matt Iglesias double certainly, don't much like this plan. They 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 realize that three of the four segments are are deeply flawed. The child care plan will raise expenses, the the pre-K plan is really just a bunch of money for the states. It doesn't guarantee pre-K at all. And the uh, paid leave plan is this incredibly complex thing that no worker can figure out about. First, you go to your private employer, then you go to the state, then you go to the federal government. It's completely insane. So it's 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 either affirmatively flawed or it's hype, and it's incredibly expensive. And, and the smart people on the left aren't pushing for it. So where is the driver to pass this bill? There, there's no like voter demand the way there was with welfare reform. They hated welfare. Here, nobody's saying we got to have this BBB. It's entirely driven internally, politically, by the needs of the Democratic elite. To get reelected and also the last chance. Well, wait, to get their, uh, but if they, but if it's to get reelected, that means that contrary to what you're saying, they they have reason to believe that actually, the the people will be happy with them if they if they have passed these things. Well, they'll be. It's it's more that they'll be totally up shit's creek if they don't pass it. Well, either way, they seem to disagree with you on the amount of popular support these things have. That, that so this isn't it's, about it's, elites. I mean, it's about elites who have who disagree with you about how much grassroots support there is. There's not a lot of support for the bill popularly. There is a lot of support for booting out your congressman if they get nothing. Well, nobody done. even knows what's in the damn bill. I'm sure, but the point is, that I'm sure they've done some polling on what happens if you say in a campaign ad, "Hey, I passed paid leave. I passed this. I passed that," and right. you apparently disagree with them. And, and because the, if you the, put uh, if you put if you put uh, tremendous support for a bill at ten, and no support for a bill at zero, okay, there if they pass the bill, if if they if they pass the bill, they'll be at like four, 
And if they don't pass the bill, they'll be at two. So they'd rather be at four than two, but to really get a bill through, you have to have support around seven or eight. Does that make any sense at all? Uh, not so far, but I'll reflect <laughs> on it after we quit taping. The, the, uh, so um, just one thing. I mean, Joe Manchin continues on his, uh, his nihilistic crusade to, to strip. He's, he now wants to take the one remaining thing. He wants to take the hearing, uh, like hearing aid benefits out of Medicare. Now, Bernie Sanders, God bless him, is trying to restore dental coverage uh, to the bill for Medicare. Joe Manchin, I, I mean, the only thing I can figure is he's afraid is that is he, if he gives uh, West Virginia uh, senior citizens hearing aids, they will hear about all the shit he, he took out of the bill. That was a hearing aid joke. But I really don't I, I really don't understand what um, well, it could just be a bargaining ship negotiating with Joe Manchin, negotiating with Bernie Sanders. It's also true that Biden uh, made strenuous efforts to get hearing aid, cheap hearing aids available to the public to get the price of them down. So he may argue that there's less need for that. Uh, and there's also the argument that you know, with dental, at least, it's a normally re recurring expense that you, it's not what you have insurance for. All it will do is drive up the cost of dentistry. So uh, there's wait, an argument all it will against- do? No, 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 wait, no, wait, no, wait. There are a lot of people. In fact, I may be in this category. It's like among the reasons I'm not very good about my, uh, you know, going to a, a dentist more often is like, I don't really want to spend the money. And so, you know, there, there are a lot of people who probably should go do their little checkup every 18 months or something with a dentist. And if they had just, just uh, the first $500 of annual expenses paid for, they'd do it. That would be well, Why isn't and that's why it's different than just you have to have your car lubed. So why not have car lube insurance where the government pays you to lube your car? No, I'm just saying I'm just saying in neither. No, 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 no. My point is that even in the car lube case, I wouldn't say all it does is drive up the cost of lubricants. No, it keeps some cars that would otherwise break down for lack of lubrication from breaking down. That's my point. It, it doesn't just drive up costs. It actually okay, gets but, people care. It, but it, in, in in terms of anyway, you got you got my point that it it, it it's it's not like the sort of expense I, I, you ordinarily I'm personally just kind of I'm personally just kind of here sitting here savoring the little jujitsu move I pulled on your car lube metaphor. I thought that was good. Um, I didn't back uh, away from it. I embraced the car lube what's metaphor. More, what's more? What's more? What's more? What's worse for the economy if cars break down for lack of lubrication or if people have cavities? Speaking Answer: Cars. We should have a, immediately have a lube subsidy program. I'm not, I am not arguing that point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the uh, by the way, in the parrot room, uh, I do want to discuss uh, Farhad Manju's uh, car column in the New yeah. York Times, where he complained that all cars look alike. Yeah. I have a few I, things to say about that. I have, I have a point about the culture of welfare, but that's probably too complicated. If we, if we're I, run out I, of time. my mind is completely incapable of grasping that. Why don't we talk quickly about some of the key court cases? Like, uh, well, Arbery, the Arbery verdict came down, the abortion cases unfolding, uh, the Arbery case came down. I mean, since our last, because we took that week off, we haven't talked about it. Do you have any complaints about the Arbery verdict? No, I don't. I, with, um, I, I, I had previously said that there was more to it than the press was letting on, which I think there was. But when, when I, I, heard, I heard some uh, some reviews of the evidence that the jury saw. It was pretty clear that a conviction was warranted. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even so. even in light of, I think, the evidence, what evidence you want to bring up, the fact that this guy had been in that house. Even if the times. guy was a habitual burglar, you can't you right. can't corner the guy with guns and, and expect him to surrender to you in that situation, you know, without a fight. I mean, it's like a hard, it's well, not a situation you want to. You promote. can't, you can't expect him to not feel that his life is endangered, in exactly. which case what he does is self-defense. But the, yeah. uh, and to the point, um, apparently, you know, they did not have grounds for a citizen's arrest. They would have had a stronger case if they had actually witnessed him committing a felony, uh, but they didn't. I guess that's true. You can't, even if he thinks his life is in danger, it wouldn't be murder if you had actually seen him. It's weird that I, I, that would I think be true. they would have been on much uh, stronger ground. He would still I, be I mean, acting in self-defense. 
But if you're he a criminal, would, I guess you be, don't get to act as self-defense. And I think the fact is that, you know, citizens arrest laws weren't created to facilitate the hunting down of people with guns and pickup trucks, but he they definitely would have been in a somewhat stronger legal position. I mean, my view is just Actually, that, I think the 1619 Project would say, no, that's exactly what they were <laughs> created for. Oh, well, in a in a different uh yeah, they might. But um but uh well, it, the era in which they were created, I believe, was an era when that sort of thing happened. With but I, ju I just think, I mean, especially in an age of open carry with uh, the rampant proliferation of guns, you just cannot have it such that people are allowed to hunt people down with guns and not be responsible for whatever happens. Um, um, and so, well, I, I mean... I don't know about all three verdicts, you know, they, they were right, all exactly. three convicted of murder, but, but, you know, somebody's got to be convicted of murder in a case like that, I think. Um, so, um, well, the big thing is that they're going to overturn Roe, or at least Apparently. breach, breach the viability rule. I mean, I think. Well, I th it sounds like they'll they're... do, sounds like they'll overturn. It sounds like Judge Roberts would like to recruit a conservative to his view that you could uphold the Mississippi law while not completely overturning Roe, um, of course, even he then would want to breach the viability rule. But uh, it sounds like, A, there are no takers, so far as they can tell, from the conservatives. And B, I don't know how you breach the viability rule and then magically decide that 14 or 15 months does make sense as a place to well, draw a, the line. A, a, they don't really know if he has a recruit. I mean, I guess they have sources, but the Supreme Court is pretty leak-proof. Uh, so. We don't really know. I think they're inferring on the basis of the questions the conservatives. Well, you're ask. not you're not supposed to do that. Although, you know, sometimes that goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and B, you know, courts don't have to answer. You know, what was bizarre about Roe was that it did answer the question and said, "Okay, we have three trimesters." Okay, courts don't do that. Courts just say, "Okay, you cut it down to 15 weeks. That's okay." They don't have to say where they'll draw the line after that. 14 weeks, 13 weeks, 12, 11, 10. Uh, they don't have to do that. That's how the law works. The law just decides the case. They don't have to lay down legislative but, rules. But, so, if but if you have the Supreme Court, you do have to provide some, some logic behind that, right? You can't just say, you have to explain if, why 14 months was okay, right? And you, that you has just to be- say, you could just say 15 months was a reasonable balancing of the interests that the legislature did, and, and we, we find it reasonable. You don't have to say that 13 months would be too short. A, a balancing of what and what? I mean... The the in, interest in the potential human life and the interest of, of the mother in or the the person giving birth in, in you know, controlling her own body and... Okay, but that's a new, that's a completely the, new principle in this context, right? I mean, the virtue of viability is that it doesn't involve that kind of thinking, right? I mean, viability uh, no, just says we're not way. dealing with an, a person until viability, so there's no one whose interests are on that side of the equation, right? Right. If they start talking about balancing the interests of two people, that that's my point. They have to establish a whole new legal principle. They can't just say 14 months is okay. That's exactly my point. I actually, I actually haven't read enough of the abortion decision. Do they really give zero weight to the life potential of a pre-viability thesis? I, I, I don't, I don't know for sure. I, I, I had assumed that believe. that was part of the point of making viability the threshold, but I, I don't know. I, I, well, it could, it, it could just be a bright line. A, it's a bright line. They thought, and B, uh, that's the point at which. The fetus wins, right? Anyway, I, I don't don't you agree? The Supreme Court can't just say fourteen months. Okay, they they have to say they have to put out some kind of abstract logic. It can be very vague, though. Uh, it's the Supreme they, Court, man. They no, no, they uh, they could do the reverse, which is what they did in Bush versus Gore, which is to say, we're not going to give any guidance because this decision should never be applied anywhere ever again. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, so uh, that that does I, suggest they can get away with a lot. They they don't. I think they can get away with a lot, especially if it lets them reach a decision that they otherwise couldn't reach. Now, the other um, concern that uh, that pro pro choice people are raising, I I don't know how sincerely, is that this is a 
that overturning Roe is a slippery slope to overturning the gay marriage decision and so on, because because that and other decisions are like Roe, not, you know, directly explicitly rooted in the Constitution. You have to do a little bit of inferring. Um, right. I. Uh, I, I don't I don't know if the I have to think of whether the gay rights thing is the, the gay marriage thing is more defensible than Roe. I tend to think it's more defensible than Roe. But um uh so I I think it's a little bit of scaremongering, but the, the this is the this is the fourth plank of my rescue Biden plan, because Roe will could rescue the election for the Democrats if they overturn Roe and all of a sudden abortion becomes an issue. So if the conservatives are smart they will go with Justice Roberts, uh, come up with an intermediate uh, that decision that sort of doesn't completely overturn Roe, that gives some hope, keeps hope alive for uh, pro, pro-choice people, and uh, doesn't completely mobilize the Democrats. And then after the election, they can lower the boom. Uh, okay, I don't but, know if they're, I don't know if they think like that. They're not supposed but play, to. Play out the scenario where this is good for the Democrats. I assume one thing you mean is if Roe is overturned, Democrats can say, we need more uh, liberal Supreme Court justices, so you have to elect Democrats to Congress. No, no. We, they say, this is now Congress's call. Will we have a, abortions or not? You have to elect Democrats to Congress because Democrats will pass a law codifying Roe as a law, as a piece of legislation. And the Republicans will oppose it because the Republicans want to ban abortion. So are you pro are you pro abortion or anti abortion? Most people are pro choice, as they call it. And so uh, the Democrats will win that fight. It's a it's a big will create a big fight that Democrats will win in most states. In some states, they won't. Well, assuming assuming that that, that it isn't just that a majority is. uh pro-choice, but that a fair number of those are, are, you know, kind of energetically, passionately pro-choice. I mean, another, well, but, I mean, what well, I mean more, is- More of them will come out to vote and more of them will decide to vote for the Democrat. Well, it depends on the intensity level, I think. But but the, uh, I, I mean, the reason I say that is because if de- once Democrats start playing that tune, obviously the Republicans are going to reply by saying, look what, look, they're going to try to sneak this through Congress. We got to get out and vote. They're going to mobilize their base. Whether Democrats win to me seems not just on what the polls say about what a majority of Americans feel, but how many of the pro-choice people are going to go to the polls on that issue and wouldn't otherwise go to the polls. Right. It's both. But, but, but there is also some middle ground in which people will actually change their vote from Republican to Democrat because they had thought the issue of abortion was off the table and now it's on the table. And if it's on the table and it won't be anybody sneaking anything anywhere, it'll be completely in the public eye, uh, they, they, would, they prefer the Democrats. So there'll, there'll be some vote changing, too, as well as uh, turnout. It'll turn out both sides. But, uh, but you know, so the, the side that was previously unenthusiastic will probably benefit most, and that will be the Democrats also. So okay. the, the other thing is everybody seems to be saying correctly, I assume, that Sotomayor is, is sort of a a cut below all the other judges in terms of uh, being able to contain herself in terms of her politics and being overexcitable. And that one's on Obama. She was a bad appointment. And people like Jeff Rosen actually warned against it. Lawyers who had practiced before her warned against it. And Obama ignored it because he wanted to appoint a Latina. So was that hurting the Democrats in this case? What the, the, the characteristics you're attributing to her? No, it's just a uh, you know just annoys you respectable op- opinion. I think it's accurate. I think she's not that good a judge. They all have their quirks. Uh, you know, Scalia was just kind of flat out obnoxious. I thought, um, but, but uh, didn't hurt the Republicans. Didn't hurt the conservatives. Well, I never thought Scalia was the smartest. He thought he was, but uh, well, that was what was obnoxious was, about him. I actually sat in on a, on a on a Supreme Court hearing once because my friend was arguing the case, and Scalia was so annoying in his self regard. That's exactly the point. Yeah, um, but I mean, there there are a lot of liberals around who are a lot better qualified to be on the Supreme Court than Sotomayor. Yeah, Larry Tribe. So- 
I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But he was taken seriously. And now he turns out to be a quasi nut, if you ask me. Well, he he was always he was always really smart and really inventive. And I don't know if that's the sort of person you want to be on the court. <laughs> on Twitter, he's, he's a you know, he's a resistance hysteric, or at least he was, he was never he was never following. strong on politics were never his strong suit. He's a smart guy who 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 uh but I, 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 like, I for know. example, he generated he generated a much more uh, persuasive defensive uh, row uh, than than the opinion in row, which is a piece of crap, uh, which really says nothing. Uh, tribe said, well, we can we can, you know, extrapolate from these cases about extracting bodily fluid from people. Do people have a right of bodily integrity? If you have a right of bodily integrity, maybe you have a right to, you know, you know, not to be forced to keep this thing in your body for a while. Uh, it was, it was a, you know, much more creative than the Supreme Court came up with. Well, I'm giving us our 56 minute warning, um, and uh, I just want to say we can we can save this for the parrot room. But uh, the fact that Mario Cuomo was uh, considered for Supreme Court justice reminds me that we could talk about a Cuomo in the parrot room. That's that's a segue well, to parrot. Parrot room. Okay, well, I I have a I have a mini rant about Cuomo. You want it in the parrot room? Ah, uh, you know, it's mini. I'll give it now. The um, everybody knew that Chris first. Everybody knew what Chris Cuomo was. CNN knew it. The viewers knew it. You knew he was biased. You knew he was going to go to bat for his brother. He was what he was. People watched him because they wanted to watch that. Okay, so now you fire him because he is. What you knew he was all along, that seems a little wacky. The other ugly thing is how everybody associated with Cuomo is now being defenestrated. I mean, the, the guys that move on, the guys at Human Rights Watch, uh, Chris Cuomo. And it's all because it's like, it's like uh, you know, medieval politics. They don't have their big jefe, Andrew Cuomo, who can, who can screw people who screw with his people. So it's, he, all his people are now fair game because they don't have the protection of the big boss. It's like they could only go after Harvey Weinstein after his fortunes had faded in Hollywood when people say, okay, we can take this guy down now. It's not going to, you know, he's not powerful enough to retaliate. Now Andrew Cuomo can't retaliate. So now all his pieces are, are it's like the Godfather of they're all being executed. I was waiting. I was going to ask, like, why are you bringing in medieval metaphors and using terms like Hefe <laughs> when the obvious thing to do is offend Italian Americans? Okay. By bringing in a mafia comparison, thank okay, you. Okay, well, it's, it's it's anyway, it's it's it, it reflects not principle, but a lack of principle that they didn't do it earlier. They only can do it when Andrew is out of the picture. That's my rant. Okay, and the, and the, and the question, the question with him and Tubin suspension, Bob, which one is longer? But you, but they both neither will. This will not last forever, is your prediction? No, I, I think, think this one might last forever. I'm starting to wonder: Does everybody at CNN have something on Jeff Zucker? I mean, like, why does why does he always forgive everyone? Uh, oh, it's not. It is. It's not like there's no. Is he really saying he has no talent who could who could fill the void? It's very weird because, unlike MSNBC. They like get rid of a guy like Chris Matthews, who's a proven, you know, at whatever level he is, he knows how to get people at the ratings level he's at. He's very skilled. And they just got rid of him in a minute and didn't worry who would replace him. Okay. How is because that person that was doing, whoever that person is? Terrible. That person is Joy Reid. Uh, but, um, and she's not meeting his ratings? No, no. But um, the, uh, the, uh, the, so they don't worry about replacing then. But with a guy like Cuomo and Trubin, suddenly they say, well, who are we going to replace him with? Uh, gee, we might lose some ratings. Uh, it, it's a little bit of a double standard. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I think there was more political pressure in the, in the case of uh, Matthews. I mean, at that moment, especially Me Too was like an unstoppable but what force. But what did he do? He, I mean, I was thinking, you know, in order to get, how do I get in the mood for this show, right? It's very hard for me because I'm, I'm isolated here. The COVID is, it, you know, the COVID makes it hard to have mm -hmm. a lot of meetings with people. So I don't talk to people. So this is, the show is talking. How do I get warmed up? Okay. 
Chris Matthews warmed up by flirting with women. Okay, that's all he did. He didn't hit on them. He didn't touch them. He he made he said, "Oh, you look yeah, nice." He warmed, okay, he warmed up on camera sometimes. But so what? It was incredibly mild. And plus, there was they a really pretty weird. No, there was a pretty weird moment when he when he when he. I don't remember the details, but it was famous and weird. But anyway, look, not as I'm not, not as I, weird as Quincy, not as weird as a drunk Quincy Jones hitting on Soledad O'Brien on air. For that matter, not as bad as Joe Namath <laughs> turning on national TV to the woman who, who was interviewing him and saying, can I kiss you? <laughs> he, of course, he was drunk out of his mind. This was he woke up the next morning thinking he needed a lifestyle change. Um, so, OK, so what are we going to talk about in the parrot room? I, I, I've Rob, got we ideas. got a lot to talk about in the we parrot room. We have a room. lot. We have a lot. This is going to be a good one at patreon.com slash parrot room. Um, we have. We have Epstein. Oh, I forgot. The, that the trial. trial. See, of, that's another trial. That's what I mean. A lot of court cases. The trial of Gilead Maxwell. We right. have uh, the incredible speech by the French uh, anti-immigration populist in, uh, in his announcement last week, Zemmour. It's really quite something. You should, you should listen to it if, if you haven't what, already. You said this is the French populist? He's the French Donald Trump. Except okay. there already is a French Donald Trump, Marine Le Pen. So he's the That's second. That's what French I thought. This is the new Marine Le Pen. She's this kind is of, the one, yeah. and, and and he's. This speech was incredibly effective. Anyway, we can talk about it. Talk about. It. Uh, uh, there's a Mearsheimer article about China, which will drive you up the wall. Well, I'm familiar with his line on on China. If, if we have time, we should talk about it because he's such a curious case. I had him on my show. Not that long ago, but we argued about international law instead of China. I, I should have him on and argue about this. It's uh, it's a funny, he's a funny, he's a very funny case. Very smart okay. guy. Well, I, anyway, what about your thing? Um, well, you sent me this Brett Weinstein tweet about guns, and and also Brett Weinstein had this kind of quasi conspiracy theoretical tweet about Omnicron. So we might as well bring up Brett Weinstein. As long I, as we're I, on him, I, I'll do a, just a little more trash talking about Sam Harris, uh, partly because there's a particular dimension of trash talking I haven't done yet. And also because uh, somebody actually said on Twitter or something that they joined, they signed up for the patreon.com uh, slash parrot room uh, thing because they heard I was going to do trash talk about Sam Harris. So that's a proven winner. Um, um. Okay. The, Far, the Farhad, uh, is that his first name? Call him on cars. I don't know. Far, um, you know what I mean? Uh, I, the, yeah, he, he, wrote a, he wrote something about cars. We can talk about that. Now, I, I just got, I got two different emails saying that uh, Andrew Sullivan sang our praises on his podcast released like just this week. So uh, apparently if you go to the 58 minute mark, so maybe we could listen to that in advance yeah. and then see okay. whether we think it's enough praise or we deserve more. Probably more would be good. Um, the um, uh, That's the Dishcast, folks, which is a good... Po I, let's return the favor. Excellent podcast, don't you think, Mickey? Yeah. It, it, I, every time I've listened to it, I've, 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 uh, I've enjoyed it because it, he, he's not that argumentative. He sort of listens and draws people out He's very friendly, and uh, he's ar just argumentative enough. No, he's very, uh, he's very good at this, and he's genuinely yeah. interested in the people. He starts off by asking them about themselves, but, which is interesting. If he does, be more if interesting he if he had me on and and asked me about myself. But I enjoyed the part if, where he if had he doesn't you hold on it against me yourself. that I, if he doesn't hold it against me that I didn't like his answer about Charles Murray on sixty Minutes. He's a big, big man. Nah, he's a. It rolls off him. Um, so there's, uh, there's the Beatles get back. The Beatles get back. Maybe uh, you can explain to me why I should care more about Stephen Sondheim's career. He no, died. I can't. You can't. I well, can't. Um, let's the, talk uh, about why neither of us can. Because um, we're not gay. <laughs> no, come on. You think only <laughs> gay know. people like musicals? No, I don't know. The it, it's a there's a cliche about gays and musicals that I'm playing on. 
<laughs> and also Sondheim was gay, and there's sort of a whole cult well, of Sondheim. And, I don't know. Andrew's cetera, support was nice while it lasted, anyway. I'm glad, glad he got those kind words. <laughs> it was words a bad in. joke. It was a bad joke. Uh, um, you were asking for it, though. Um, there's an article by Derek Thompson that sort of echoes what Ross Douthat says about decadence. Mm -hmm. And I think I have a point to make about it oh, in The Atlantic. Uh, okay. Uh, there's a little bit of J.D. Vance news from Ohio. There's this weird murder in Beverly Hills. Bob? I hope you're writing this down. You're going too fast for me. Uh, all these things have been written down. And there's the Iran talks. Oh, yeah. We should get into the Iran talks a little. That's looking kind of grim. I mean, predictably. Anyway, that's more than an hour right there. Sure is. Farhad Manju and, is the name of the uh, New York Times columnist who's. And you get your column. money's worth just with me being canceled by Andrew Sullivan. So. You really do, but I'm afraid you gave that to him for free, Mickey. That's bonus con. We try to do the cancelable stuff behind the paywall at patreon.com slash parrotroom. And that is where uh, we will uh, retire to now. So uh, we will, we will uh, see you there. Looks like, you're reaching for for my parrot. Looks like you're reaching for your I'm parrot. I'm reaching for my parrot. You know what happened when uh, Jeffrey I'm Tubin did for my that, parrot, But I accidentally produced the moose. The moose? <laughs> <laughs> don't don't get me started. Uh, okay. Okay. So anyway, see we'll see animals there. All right. Yeah. See ya.